Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Well, this morning I'm um, bringing the third message in an instalment that this congregation isn't aware of because I've been preaching this series in Huapai. And uh, I calculated the number of weeks and had to do some quick maths. And all of these messages are standalone messages. But I'm looking at the life of Joseph, and it's so relevant to us at this time because, as everybody is aware, you don't need to be a rocket scientist looking at any of the news channels that are available to us right now. Things are heating up, are they not? right around the world. And uh, with the pandemic over 2020, it's put so much squeeze on the world. And uh, we're looking at the man uh, this morning whose life was squeezed almost beyond squeeziness, if I can say that. And uh, Joseph gives us an incredible look into the window of somebody who carried a dream as a young person in his heart and he had to go through 10 identifiable tests from the time that Joseph received his dreams, and they were incredible dreams, uh, to the time that he became the prime minister of Egypt, Joseph went through 10 identifiable tests. And what we understand is that on our way to fulfilling the destiny of God within our life, we will face challenges, will we not? And those challenges so often derail people's lives and they actually get off the Jesus bus because they find it too hard or too difficult or too challenging and they draw back from a life of following Jesus because the challenges are too challenging for them. And so this morning I want to look at the third challenge that Joseph faced. The first challenge was the pride test and uh, Joseph was very unwise. He received incredible dreams. And uh, because he was the family favorite father's pet, uh, he had no concept of wisdom at that point in his life. And naively, he just told his brothers, one day you're going to bow down to me. Now, well, that was very wise, Joseph. You know, all of his older brothers, yeah, man, you're going to bow down to me one day. Who the heck do you think you are, boy? And so they began, to, the Bible says they began to hate him even the more so because of his lack of wisdom and uh and 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 then the icing went on the cake when he told the family that even mum and dad are going to bow down to me and so that that was kind of one step too far and so joseph's pride pride comes before her and where did he end up next in the pit in the pit so he went from the pride test to the pit test and where we find ourselves, uh, sometimes we have no concept or idea, how did I end up in this mess? How did I end up in this pit? And, uh, and we're looking for ways out. We're looking, but we, sometimes we don't realize that it's in the midst of the pit that God is doing his deepest work within our hearts. Can I hear an amen from those of who's been in the pit? Who's in the pit? Praise God. <laughs> That's great. That's real honest stuff. And so today... Um, I want to look into this um, message where we're going to move on and we're going to move from the pit where uh, just by chance slave traders 
uh, who were the guys that were the entrepreneurs of the day making a quick buck out of human flesh, bought Joseph and he went from the pit to the palace. And today I want to talk about the palace test. The palace test. And we're going to find out what that is as we open the Bible to Genesis 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house. Bear in mind, he's in his late teen years. Just remember that. Okay, that's why uh, Paul said to Timothy, don't anyone despise your youth. You see these young people prophesying this morning. Let's never despise our young people being moved by the Holy Spirit. And so uh, he's, he's now, as, a, as probably around a 19-year-old, somewhere around there, he's now been put in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. Wow, I, found, I find that astounding. And so it was, verse 5, from that time that he made him overseer of all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread that he ate. He completely trusted Joseph. He gave the whole running of the ship over to him. Didn't want to know about anything because he had total trust that this young man was so blessed that whatever he gave him to do, the favor of God was going to be upon him. Isn't that incredible? And, uh, and just for the ladies there at the end there, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. All right. Praise God. <laughs> so here he is in Potiphar's house and notice this. The Bible says that he is a successful man. He's gone from the pit. And if we can get through our pit test, if we can get through our challenging times in life, you know, in life there's valleys and mountaintop experiences and God's got some lined up for you. If you're walking in a valley today, just keep walking because eventually you'll walk right out of that valley and you'll walk straight into the destiny of God. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. And so here he is. And, uh, and not only that, he's now made the overseer, which is exactly the same word that's used in the New Testament for an elder or a bishop. This is high promotion and authority that this young man has received over his life. And so I want to talk about the palace test today because the palace test for all of us is the test of what it means to be a good steward. Hello? You ever heard of that word? It's an old word. But we talk about it, could the stewards please take up the offering? We think, what's a steward? Um, I didn't know we had anyone in church called steward. And so we, 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 we wonder what a steward is. A steward is simply this, is taking good care of somebody else's stuff. If you're a good steward, that means you, you are reliable, you are trustworthy. I can trust that I'm going to give you something to do 
that has a, that that has responsibility to it and you are going to be able to look after it on my behalf and so we know that he was entrusted with much so what did Jesus have to say on this subject because that's what we're going to look at this morning and these verses I'm about to read to you these verses shaped my life as a young follower of Jesus Remember, I never had any Bible training. I never went to seminary. And from the age of 20 years old, I got saved, dramatically turned my life around. And by the age of 24, I was pastoring our first church. And the principles I'm about to read to you are the principles that God led me into pastoring our first congregation. And so here we go here in Luke 16, verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust in what is much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Well, I want to ask you a question today. What are the true riches? He's talking about money, possessions and goods. And he's saying, if I can't trust you with the physical stuff, how am I going to trust you with the true riches? How am I going to trust you with the anointing, the power of my presence, the spiritual realities that define the natural world? If I can't trust you with your money, with your possessions and looking after other people's stuff, why should I entrust you with my power and my anointing? God taught me that at a very, very young age. And so I began to be extremely particular and a lot of areas of my life because I knew God was shaping me for the future and that he was looking at even the little things. If you were faithful in the little and the small things, you're faithful in much, he said. And he said, if you're unjust in the little things, oh, what's that matter? You have a few cents out on my taxes. You know, somebody gave me too much change at the shop. Ah, doesn't matter. It's only a few dollars. You see, God took me through all of those tests as a young person. And so here's three points about good stewardship. Number one, character is built while taking care of the little things. And I've shared this story before, and I won't elaborate too much on it. But in my first year of walking with Jesus, I went to the dairy and to get some milk and bread. And, uh, and I got the milk and bread. She gave me my change, and I was walking back to my house. It was about a five, ten-minute walk. And as I'm walking back, the Lord said to me, she's given you too much money, too much change. And I'm thinking, well, it can't be that much. And uh, so he said, stop and count it. So I stopped and I counted, and she'd given me 20 cents too much. And I'm nearly home. And the Lord says, go back and tell her that she's given you too much change. And I'm thinking it's only 20 cents. And the Holy Spirit's saying, I'm getting particular. 
Because if you're faithful in the small things, you're faithful in much. If you're unjust in the small things, you're going to be unjust in the big things. James, if you don't get the 20 cents sorted out down here right now at this part of your life, then guess what's going to happen? Things are going to get bent and out of shape as you move on in the call of God. I'm straightening out like a bent arrow your character. And faithfulness in serving God is all about making sure you get the little things correct. Can I hear someone say amen today? Is God really interested in the small details? You can guarantee when Joseph first turned up at Potiphar's house, he's young. Yes, he's a handsome young boy, but does he know much about the Egyptian way of life? No, he would have been given small tasks initially to see if he could be trusted. And then as Potiphar began to see the tremendous favor that was on his life, he increased more responsibility. Why should God give us more if we're not faithful with what we've already got? That's what Jesus is saying. And so God wants to form and mold our character over the little things. The second thing he wants to do is to build a trustworthy spirit into our life. A trustworthy spirit. I remember years ago, uh, a very wealthy person said, James and Viv, you need a holiday. I've got this beautiful holiday home. I want you to treat it like your own. And of course, we got there and we turned up and we thought, wow, this is just, this is a mansion. This is beautiful. This is fantastic. But do you know what? We knew it wasn't ours. And we treated it with even more care than what we would treat our own place with. Because it was another man's. And we left it cleaner. We left it brighter. We left it with things in the right place. Because we knew it was another man's and we wanted to treat it well. And so when, when God entrusts us with something and he knows that we're going to take care of business, God will slowly increase and give us more responsibility. Our world, a lot of people have this philosophy. Ah, if you don't own it, wreck it. You know? Have you seen some of the hire bikes and all that sort of stuff? See where people leave them on the side of the road. People don't care because they have never learned that lesson of taking care of another person's stuff and treating it as if it was your very own and treating it with respect. And I've seen this in the financial world in Christians' lives. People say to me, oh, Pastor James, I'll tithe when I've got enough money. Well, when's that going to be in your life? And I'm, and I'm not having a go here with anything, but here's the principle. If you're earning $10 a week and God can't trust you to give a dollar back to him, why should he, when you say, oh, when I'm earning more money and I'm earning $100 now, will you give the $10 to him if you're not giving the $1 to him when you're earning $10? And let's just magnify that out a little bit. You know, $1,000, your $100. And the issue is, you see, the issue is, is that it's a complete, it's a, it's a ratio that goes right across all of our finances. And God taught me right from, when I first started tithing, I would go right down to the last cent. And I can say as a believer now of 35 years of following Jesus, by God's grace, I've never missed a tithe over everything that God has given to me over my lifetime. And I've never been on a big salary. I've followed Jesus 
with whatever's been decided by him to put into my hand. But you know what? I've, I've seen the windows of heaven open over my life outside of my normal salary and working life because I've always been able by God's grace to be trusted with the 10% he's given me. And as a result of that, he's brought increase, increase and increase into my life. So because he knows that he can trust me with it. So don't be deceived within your life about the whole aspect of your giving. When is it going to ever be that you're ever going to be able to afford it within your life? If you take that principle and you work that through in every area of your life, you'll find that there'll be a lot of stuff that will, you'll go missing out on within your life, and the Lord wants to teach us. Amen? We, we've got to remember, you remember this. We have the hindsight of the scriptures to know where Joseph was going. But did he know he was going to be prime minister of Egypt when he was serving in Potiphar's house? Of course he didn't. He had no idea. So he was faithful in the very smallest of things. And God promoted him because God could trust him in that situation. So the third point of good stewardship is learn to serve another man as if you were serving the Lord himself. Learn to serve another man or another woman as if you were serving the Lord himself. If you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? You know, I've watched pastors come into the ministry who have not been supportive of the people that they served under. They were treacherous. They were Judases. They betrayed the one that they were serving under, and then God gave them a position as a sole charge pastor in their congregation. Do you know what happens? The cycle repeats. You'll find that in politics. You'll see that in politics, both in labor and national in recent terms. You've seen that the leaders of their parties have been betrayed by their own members. And so once you get that cycle within, if you can't faithfully serve what is another person's, why will God give you something of your own? And I've watched pastors get into those roles, and they expect everybody to be loyal to them, but they couldn't be loyal to another person before they came into the ministry. And so God's principles, will ne they'll, they'll, never, they'll never be in reverse. They'll never bend or break. They are like the law of gravity. It will come to pass, sadly, uh, within their lives. Colossians, Paul gives some advice on this. Chapter 3, verse 22. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye services, men pleasers. What does that mean? When the boss is looking, you're working hard. When the boss is not looking, you ain't working hard. But in sincerity of heart, fearing God, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. In other words, who's your real boss? When you're going to work, you're not serving your company logo or that corporate or that small business. When you go to work as a Christian, you're serving the Lord. He is your master. He is your boss. Try going to work with that attitude. You'll find a completely different attitude will come into your heart as you realize I'm not doing it as unto man, but I'm doing it to the Lord. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. There you go. 
There is a reward coming your way when you serve uh, man as if you are serving the Lord. There's a reward in Scripture that's coming your way. For you serve the Lord Christ. I remember, and I want to, and I would just park on this for a little bit. I remember the first great miracle I had in finance within, uh, within my life. We'd been serving the Lord. We'd been in the ministry for 10 years. And uh, we still had one car. wasn't a very good car. We often had to be in two different places at once. We didn't own our own home. And, uh, and we went through a, um, a season where we were really stretched. And uh, one, Viv was taking care of the finances and uh, we'd still been faithfully giving to the Lord in the midst of that whole thing. And one day she put all the bills out and she said, Lord, there's not enough money. There's not enough money to pay all these bills. And the Lord said to her, I want you to dance over these bills and I want you to declare my name, Jehovah Jireh. So she pulled the curtains. She danced. <laughs> Looked like a little mad Rumpelstiltskin dancing around the lounge room. And... Uh, and she, and she danced over those bills prophetic. She told me, but I thought, yeah, that's weird. That's cool, you know. Um, and she said, I really felt the Lord say that something's on its way. It's gonna, that's, the, God's reward is on its way. And a week later, I got a phone call uh, from someone who was known to our family. He lived in another part of New Zealand. He just sold his business. And he said, um, if there's anything that somebody could have done for me as a young father, it would be to help me get into a property. So he said, I'm, I want to send you some money to help you get in. He said, this is not for the church. This is for you. And, uh, and so he sends an envelope, bank check in the mail. We opened it up, $100,000. Hundred grand, you know, and uh, and I said to the Lord, I said to the Lord, where did this come from? And the Lord said to me, Do you remember when Peter asked me the same question, the Apostle Peter? He said to me, What will be done for us? We've given up everything to follow you. We've given up our occupation. We've given up our incomes. We're living and walking by faith, following you, Jesus. And this is what Jesus, you can read this in the Gospels. Jesus said to him, you will receive a hundredfold in this lifetime and in the lifetime to come. Not my words, Jesus' words. And so that has happened on a number of occasions from random sources where God has injected huge amounts of income randomly out of nowhere because there is an inheritance and a reward when you're faithful in what is the least. You're faithful in much, God says, and I'm sending a reward your way because you're obeying me in these principles. Can somebody say amen? Not with eye service. But, and not as our men please us, but we're looking to the Lord. And what was the outcome of all of this in Joseph's life? The Bible says he prospered. He prospered. So I want to finish this message on talking about the cycle of prosperity in your life and how that works. Because this word has almost become a demonized word in Christian circles. Oh, look at Pastor James. He's preaching on prosperity. Where's his gold Rolex, Rolex watch? Has, has he got a, is there, is actually a, is that a diamond ring he's wearing? I bet you that's a diamond ring he's wearing. He's, he's preaching about prosperity. He's one of those prosperity preachers. Never trust those prosperity preachers. I want to talk to you as I finish this message this morning about biblical prosperity. Because it's in the Bible. 
And I want to talk to you about what it really means because there is so much wrong, erroneous teaching about prosperity that is blabbed and grabbed all around the world. And no wonder people hate the sound of this word because all they think it is is just the church wants more money. James wants to, you know, he wants to retire on his 10-acre ranch. And, uh, you know... Let's look at the verse again, verse 5, Genesis 39. So it was from that time that he made him overseer of his house and all he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Did you hear that? The secular, false idol-worshipping man called Potiphar got blessed because Joseph was at work in his house serving with a good spirit. And a good heart. In other words, Potiphar and his house and his business prospered because Joseph was there. I want to ask you the question is your employer prospering because you work for him or her? Makes a big difference when we start putting the shoe on the other foot. So prosperity is not necessarily a bad word. And the devil will always try and distort biblical truth and bring it down to the realm of deception and demonic doctrines. So um, I want to ask you a question. Do you, would you rather be in poverty today or would you rather prosper? Okay. You sound real convinced. <laughs> Here's a couple of verses from the Old Testament and the New Testament just to, to convince you a little bit more because I want to tell you something. You know why these things have come into my life? Let me tell you. Let me tell you why. Because we've been honest, we've been transparent, we've served God faithfully, often on a small salary. We haven't, we haven't asked. You'll notice in this church we never ask for money. You know, it's in this church that we just we just trust God because we've seen the Father provide over and over and over again. And yes, there may be times when we need to come for a big ask on things. It hasn't happened yet. But the, re- the reason why is because we've had a revelation of the Father and how if he's going to look after the sparrows of the field, how much more he's going to look after you, James. You're a human being. You're a son of God. You're, you're, you're my creation. I'm going to take care of every need that you have. So here's Isaac, Genesis 26, sowed in the land, verse 12, and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continue prospering until he became very prosperous. The man prospered, continued prospering, and he became very prosperous. I'm putting my hand up for that because I'm about to share with you what the real meaning of prosperity is in biblical terms. And then you'll all be putting your hand up saying that, I want that too, Pastor James. How about the Apostle John, the one who leant on Jesus' breast, the one who was the favorite son, so to speak. The Apostle John who spent the rest of his years on the Isle of Patmos, isolated revelations from God and uh, who wrote and gave us the book of Revelation. He believed, read John 1, 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. We don't need much more convincing from that 
the great apostle John, I pray that you would prosper in all things. Now, here's the meaning of the word prosperity. To prosper simply means this in the Hebrew. It means to be pushed forward. You're not pushing your own wheelbarrow all the time. How many know that with a heavy weight pushing a wheelbarrow uphill gets very, very tiring? How would you like God to push you up that hill? How would you like some extra help to be pushed along the way supernaturally within your life? That's what prosperity means. It means God giving you the push to get to where you need to go and he'll do it supernaturally in your health, in your body, in your finances. The Lord will prosper us as we discover what it means to make progress serving the Lord. The Greek simply means this, to help on the road. Wouldn't you like to be helped on the road of life? More importantly, when you prosper, you're able to help other people. And that's the thing. That's why, you know, it's so important for us to look after ourselves. It's so important for us to make sure that we're in a space in our own lives where we can actually continue to help other people because we're prospering not just in soul, but we're prospering in our health as well. So how do we get this prosperity cycle happening in our life. Well, I'm going to go back and reverse on Joseph's life. And uh, we see in verse 3, the master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did. The first key is we backtrack on how Joseph ended up in such a prosperous position is simply this. The Lord was with him. The presence of God was in Joseph's life. When God is with you, if God is for you, who can be against you? When the prosperity of God is over your life, the presence of God will be there. The Lord was with him. And secondly, how do we get the presence of God into our life? Let me tell you, the, the next key is the word. If we can flick forward to the um, cycles, please. Next one. Next one, please. Next one. Okay, obedience. Now this is where it gets a little tricky for us. Obedience. What happened to King Saul? Head and shoulders, handsome man, chosen to be the first king of Israel. Everything was going great for him. But there's one thing he failed to understand. And you talk about the little things. He was told to wait for the prophet Samuel to come and not do anything until the prophet, the man of God, turned up. And the Bible says, I think it's in 1 Samuel 15, that he never did that. He, he took it into his own hands. He disobeyed the Lord and, uh, and he made sacrifices thinking that he could appease God by taking things into his own hand. But he failed the obedience test. And do you know what happened? From that day forward, the anointing of the Spirit left King Saul's life. So what did that mean for him? It meant he could no longer prosper in his reign as a king. Because God cannot walk with the disobedient. It's gone a little bit quiet. <laughs> God cannot walk with the disobedient. Does that mean he's going to forsake you? No, it doesn't. 
God still helped Saul in many ways, but he chose his own destiny by being disobedient. And if we look at this verse here in uh, chapter 18, it says, Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. But he had departed from Saul. Next verse. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. So God had departed from, he was still physically the one that was wearing the crown on his head, but he no longer had the pleasure and the anointing of God upon his life that had been transferred to a young boy called David, who was on his way to becoming the greatest, one of the greatest kings of hist in history and over the nation of Israel. Because David chose the path for most of his life, the path of obedience, which brought the presence of the Lord, which brought the prosperity of God within his life. So, if God doesn't walk with the, with the disobedient, what's the next step in the chain? And we'll reverse this when we get there, is faith. Faith. Just as you turn your tap on at home, and you turn the hot water tap on, what comes out normally? cold unless you've got unless you've got instant gas heating in your house if you turn on your hot water tap cold water will come out you've just got to wait a little bit until the hot begins to arrive and that's what faith is all about when we God gives us faith within our heart we've got to stick no matter what our circumstances tell us eventually the hot water will flow over your life as you stick with God and live in a position of faith trusting him even when circumstances seem to deny what you're seeing in reality eventually you will see the hot water flow through into your life it's not about trying harder it's not about being a try hard. It's about simply believing the word that God has placed within your life. Praise God. Look at uh, the last part of the equation this morning, and this is where the cycle all starts for God's prosperity, for him helping you along the way, pushing you forward in your life, is simply the next one, please, Armajit, is hearing the word of God. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So here's the cycle. We begin in our relationship with the Lord. He speaks a word into our heart. That word provokes faith. Faith comes. How does it come? By hearing a rhema word within our spirit. You can be backed into a corner. Your circumstances can look overwhelming, but if God gives you a word, if God tells you, I remember uh, in our second church, we'd taken over a nightclub and it had been, it had been um, dilapidated. Nobody had been in it for three years because a murder had taken place at the top of the stairs. Shelley, you visited us in that church when we were there a number of years ago. And we spent a whole lot of money fitting that place out. And you know what? Within a year, within a year, God filled the place up. We were half full, and 12 months later, we were full. We were bursting at the seams. And on the day that we dedicated all of our renovations to the Lord in that place, because people were coming to the Lord within that place, I remember the Lord speaking to me. I took all the men down early in the morning, uh, and we dedicated to the, the, the day to the Lord. We dedicated the building to the Lord. People worked through the night to get it ready for the service that day. 
And we went down there, and as we were praying, the Lord said to me, I want you to go and lay hands on the far wall, and I want you to claim the building next door, which was twice the size of the building that we had just been in. And I started laughing, not in unbelief, but I started laughing, looking at the Lord's sense of humor after all the hard work that had been put into this building. And he says, now I want you to claim the building next door. And God put faith in our hearts. Three times we went to the owners of that building and they turned us down every single time. But when God speaks a word into your heart, faith comes. And when we walk in obedience, this is what happens. The presence of the Lord is with us until that landlord could no longer resist the whole Holy Spirit, and we took over that building next door as well. And we had both buildings going for the Lord's work. That's how it happens, and that's how it works. And if you want the Lord progressing and moving your life forward, that's what true prosperity is. Then it's time for you to get your cycle of prosperity on to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to move in your life. Who wants that this morning? I want that. I want that. I want the favor of God to continue to rest on my life. I want the favor of God to continue to rest upon the people that serve Him in this church. So could you please stand to your feet? Because we're going we're gonna to work this morning with the Holy Spirit, and we're going to begin to claim that in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. The amazing thing is in this room and online today where our lives can be at such different places and spaces. But for every one of us, you're somewhere in that cycle today. Maybe you heard a word from God, but you haven't moved on it because you've been too timid. Paul said we need to be fully persuaded with what the Lord. Caroline's taking a step of faith, moving cities this week. Why? Because she's been fully persuaded. This is where I need to go. I'm going to uproot myself and I'm going to shift cities. To be fully persuaded, you need to have a word that's resting and, and is beginning to germinate within your spirit. And as it germinates, you begin to take on board and you begin to visualize the future of what God is saying to you and through you this morning. And suddenly there's a push that comes from behind and you're thinking, wow, like the wind that fills the sails of a yacht. I wasn't going anywhere fast and suddenly the wind shifted and I felt the prosperity of God pushing me forward within my life taking me to the destination. Remember, this is a dreams to destiny. So some of us this morning need to claim our destiny afresh again with the Holy Spirit today. Today, I feel that we need to break the spirit of unbelief over some of our lives. It's been hindering us from moving forward into the next phase because we haven't been able to quite get it. Can God really do that for me? I know he can do it for others, but will he do it for me? Are you hearing me, church, this morning? That's what the whole, I feel the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning. So will you pray with me, church, this morning? Will you, will you step, take a step forward in faith this morning and begin to claim that destiny that God has over your life? All of you are called this morning. All of you have been chosen by God. 
But not all of us are going to reach the destination. Hallelujah. Would you follow me in prayer this morning, church, to to begin to claim your slipstream with God today? Let's get out of our own our own disturbed ear, and let's get into the jet stream of God this morning where we're effortlessly moving our lives forward because God is with us like he was with Joseph. And the presence of the Lord makes all the difference. Let's pray together. If you can follow me in prayer this morning, church, pray just from your heart. Engage. Make these words your own words this morning. Heavenly Father, I repent for all unbelief that's been sitting around in my heart. I ask you to forgive me. And I turn away, Lord, from the many roadblocks that the enemy has tried to put in my path. This morning, I turn to you. I I declare today, I take my leadership from Jesus. I reject all other advice except that which is from the Holy Spirit. And I turn to you this morning, Lord. I'm asking you for fresh faith, for a spirit of faith to begin to rise up, to rise afresh within my heart. I take you at your word, and the word comes by hearing, and it comes to me this morning, and it produces faith, fresh faith within my life. So, Lord, I take steps this morning in your direction and your destiny for my life. I receive all that you have, all that the Father has is mine today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Woo! Praise the Lord this morning. Thank you, Father.